Well, good morning. I'm glad to be back with you folks, and I'm glad that you are here on this 4th of July weekend. Uh, we are in a series called Desperate. Uh, desperate is, that situ- is when you're in that situation that is so bad that it seems like it is impossible to deal with. Desperate is when you're in a situation where there seems to be little or no hope of things improving. On this 4th of July weekend, I want to talk to you about a desperate nation. Let me preface it by saying, congregation, I love the United States of America. I'm thankful that I was born in and and grew up in the United States of America. I still believe the United States of America is the best country in all the world. But I also believe we are not the country I grew up in. We're not the country we used to be. In fact, I want to say to you just very frankly today that I believe we are a nation in trouble. We are a nation that is walking away from God. We are a nation that is facing a very bleak future. Think about how quickly things have changed in our nation. Think about how radically things have changed in our nation. It really makes me wonder what America will look like in another five to ten years. It makes me wonder if there's any hope for our country. Now, I want to tell you ahead of time that this is an airplane sermon. You know what an airplane sermon is? Airplane sermon is a sermon we're going to taxi for a good while. We're going to go down a long runway before we take off. So you're going to be sitting there thinking, when is he ever going to open the Bible? I promise you we will. But we've got a taxi for a while, and we're going to go down a long runway so that I can set the stage for when I open the Bible so that you can understand the message to America and to us today. And so, knowing that this is an airplane sermon, I want to start out with some startling stats. I want to start out by giving you some snapshots of what our country looks like today. This is not opinion. These are snapshots of what our country currently looks like. First of all, 57 million babies have been aborted since the Supreme Court decision in 1973. 57 million. That is equal to the entire population of California and New York put together. Here's another snapshot. Churches in America are in decline and are dying. And the interesting thing about that is that it's almost in every denomination. It's really hard to find any denomination that's on an upward upward trend. But all denominations, just about, are in decline and are dying. In fact, every year, more than 4,000 churches close their doors in America. Every year. Compared to 1,000 new church starts. In the 10-year period between 1990 and 2000, the combined membership of all Protestant denominations in the United States declined by 5 million members, while the population of the United States increased by 24 million. While the population was increasing by 24 million people, we declined 5 million. Tom Rayner has stated, he's president of Lifeway, he said, as many as 100,000 churches in America are showing signs of decline towards death. 100,000 
churches in America are declining towards death. He says their time is short, perhaps less than 10 years. Here's another snapshot of where we are in America today. The nuns are on the rise. I don't mean the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S. The nuns. Let me explain that to you. In May of this year, the Pew Research Center released the results from uh, a recent poll. And the number of Americans who do not identify with any religion continues to grow at a rapid pace. One-fifth of the U.S. population and a third of adults under 30 are religiously unaffiliated. Now, here's what that means. When they did this survey and they asked the question, are, are you Protestant, are you Catholic, are you Hindu? Or, and they gave all these different examples. Uh, and Which box would you check to describe who you are? The last box was none or none of the above. One-fifth of the U.S. public and one-third of adults under 30 now check that box. None. And in the last five years alone, the unaffiliated have increased from just over 15% to just under 20%. Here's another snapshot of what's happening in our world or in our nation today. Racism has once again reared its ugly head in our nation. You know by now that on the evening of June 17, 2015, a mass shooting occurred at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Charleston. Our family was there last weekend. We stood in front of that church as they had two more funerals uh, that afternoon as we stood there. 21-year-old Dylan Roof sat in a Bible study for about an hour listening to the pastor teach before standing up with a gun and killing nine people, including the senior pastor, State Senator Clemente Pickney. Just another snapshot of what our nation is like right now. And then the biggest snapshot of all, perhaps, was on Friday, June 26. The Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriage is now legal in all 50 states. And that same evening, the White House was bathed in rainbow-colored lights. Did that bother anybody? This is an historic time in our country. And I'm convinced that the repercussions of this decision will be felt for generations. I agree with Dr. Russell Moore who said, I'm a conscientious dissenter from this ruling handed down from the court today, believing among, along with millions of others that marriage is the sacred union of one man and one woman and that it is improper, listen to this, it is improper for the court to redefine an institution it did not invent in the first place. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, said, Long before our government came into existence, marriage was created by the one who created man and woman, Almighty God. And his decisions are not subject to review or revision by any man-made court. God is clear about the definition of marriage in his holy word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And he says, I pray God will spare America from its judgment, though by our actions as a nation, we give him less and less reason to do so. Pastor Jack Graham is the pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, a mega church, Plano, Texas, mega church. And he, after this Supreme Court ruling, he did a video message to his entire congregation because they're in several locations. And I thought it was so good that we all needed to watch it today. 
he very eloquently states the situation uh, and how we need to respond. So let's watch this little video clip. It's just about a minute, 50 seconds. Pastor Jack Graham, Preston Wood Baptist Church. I, like many Christians across this country, are very discouraged that the Supreme Court has chosen to redefine marriage. After thousands and thousands of years, as God has designed and ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman, now that is put aside in favor of the laws of man. So it's very important, number one, that we pray, that we pray for our homes, that we pray for our families, that we pray for our young people. Just as these young people are behind me here on the steps of the Supreme Court building, uh, it's a reminder to pray for a future generation in which so many of the truths that we've held sacred through the years, through the generations, is now set aside in favor of the opinions of man and the laws of man. It's very critical now that we not only pray, but that we are willing to stand for truth in opposition to what has become new law in this land. And I'm praying that this will be a time for the church to rise up that the church will wake up to see just exactly where we stand in the midst of a generation that's walking away from God. God has told us that if we build our lives, build our homes, build our families, build our nation upon God's word, his truth, and his righteousness, that he will bless us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But more and more, as we turn away from the principles that has made this nation great, as we turn away from the laws of God in favor of the laws of men, we're going to face not only the judgment of God, but potentially the demise of the United States that we have known it. I'm not an extremist in any way, but no nation has survived decisions like this one. So I pray that we'll get on our knees and that we'll cry out to God and that we'll experience once again repentance as a nation and as a people as we move forward in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does all of this mean for the future of our country? I want to give you three uh, answers to that question real quickly. First of all, I want you to understand, and these are not all the ramifications, but I think these are three important ramifications. First of all, I want you to be aware and understand that your children and your grandchildren will grow up in a nation where same-sex marriage will be seen as legal and normal. Think about that for a moment. I don't have any grandkids, but if the Lord ever gives me grandkids, they will grow up in a nation where same-sex marriage is legal and normal. They will never know anything different. They will never realize, unless their mom or dad or, or, or whoever I am, I don't know what I'm going to be called yet, but uh, unless their papa shorter teaches them God's word or their mom and dad teaches them God's word, they will never know because in society and in the school system and in the government, it will be legal and normal. And that's the only thing they will know. Number two, there certainly will be an attack on religious liberty in our country. Christian universities, Christian businesses, churches, pastors will be pressured to bow to the government. There is no question about that, that it's coming and perhaps is already started. Number three, in the name of justice, listen to this one. Everybody listen to this one. In the name of justice, once marriage is redefined, consenting adults can define it any way they feel is right. In the name of justice, once marriage is redefined, consenting adults can 
define it any way they feel is right. And I'll tell you right now, though I'm not a, an expert, I've just done a lot of study, I'll tell you right now that the next thing that will be allowed is likely polygamy. In fact, the headline this past Tuesday, from this past Tuesday, the headline was this, Montana man inspired by same-sex marriage ruling requests right to wed two wives. It's already started. And here's what he said. He said, I have two wives because I love two women and I want my second wife to have the same legal rights and protection as the first. Does that language sound familiar? I want my second wife to have the same legal rights and protection as the first. And he added, most people are not us. I'm not trying to define what marriage means for everybody else. I am trying to define what marriage means for us. You see, we're living in a world where there is no king and everybody does what's right in his own eyes. Just straight out of the book of Judges. Everybody does what's right in his own eyes. He said, I'm trying to define what marriage means for us. Where did he get the idea that he had the opportunity to define what marriage means for him? Well, Chief Justice, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, in his dissenting opinion from the Supreme Court ruling, said this. He said, it is striking how, how much of the majority's reasoning would apply with equal force to the claim of a fundamental right to plural marriage. The Chief Justice said, basically, you're opening the door to all kinds of things. You're opening the door, and he basically said, once you've opened that door, there's no way you can stop things now. And so, beyond polygamy, likely we will also allow bigamy. We will also eventually allow incestuous marriage, and perhaps polyamory marriage. All of those are real possibilities now in our country. Our nation has started down the slippery slope of sexual decadence, and there is apparently no stopping it. We are a desperate nation. Now, I've been thinking in recent days about another desperate nation that's described in the Bible. A desperate nation that is described with vivid imagery in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Would you open God's Word with me? I don't think I've ever preached this passage of Scripture in my 28, 29 years of pastoring. I don't think I've ever preached from this passage until today. Ezekiel chapter 37, very famous scripture. Very vivid imagery in the Old Testament uh, about where that desperate nation was and I believe where we are in America today. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. Excuse me. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, you need to understand a little bit about this nation that Ezekiel was writing to and speaking to. This was a divided nation at the time of this writing. At the time of this vision that God gave him, this was a divided nation. It used to be the the 12 tribes. It used to be the nation of Israel, but but they split, they divided. It was the 10 northern tribes were Israel, the two southern tribes were Judah. And so in this vision, 
He's talking to a divided nation, but not only was it a divided nation, at this time of the vision, at this time of the prophecy, it was also a nation that had no king. It also was a nation that had no temple. It also was a nation that was in exile for their sins. And here is what they were saying about their situation. Here is what the people of Israel were saying about their situation. They described their situation in verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they say, here's what they were saying about their situation. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. This was a desperate nation. Their situation was so bad, there was little or no hope of things improving. And in a vision, God told Israel to walk around among the bones so that he could appreciate the vast number of the bones and to see how dry they were. And after Ezekiel took time to walk among the bones in this valley and see the vast number of bones throughout, scattered throughout the valley, then God came to Ezekiel with a key question in verse 3. Son of man, can these bones live? From a human viewpoint, the answer is obvious. No. No, these bones can't live. No, that, that's not even a possibility. God was asking, Ezekiel, from what you see, is there hope for Israel? Can it ever be what it once was? And Ezekiel gave a very honest and very wise answer. He said in the second part of verse 3, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Ladies and gentlemen, as I look at America today, I see a valley of dry bones. We're no longer one nation under God. We are far from the nation we used to be. Listen to this quote from one of our presidents. It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible. You know who said that? Our first president. He started out this country as he began to lead our country. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Can you imagine any president today saying that? Can you imagine any presidential candidate saying that? Can you imagine what the media would do if a presidential candidate said it is impossible to govern this nation without God and the Bible? You see, we are not the nation we used to be. We are a desperate nation. And the question is, can these bones live? Is there hope for America? Can it ever be what it once was? And I think that the sad and the obvious answer is no. No. Unless. Unless God does something. Unless God does something for our nation and in our nation, we cannot do for ourselves. Unless God intervenes in our situation, we have no hope. We are a valley of dry bones, and we cannot revive ourselves. We cannot revive our nation. We are a valley of dry bones. But God can intervene. 
in this valley of dry bones. As God looked at the desperate situation that Israel was in, he made a clear command to Ezekiel. And it starts at verse 4. Here's what he said. Then he said to me, what's that next word, church? What's that next word? Then he said to me, what? Prophesy. Remember that word and look for it as we read. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Well, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't you think maybe we should talk to Congress or get Congress to pass a, a, a rule? Or, or is, is, can we write a senator? Can, can we get somebody else on the Supreme Court? Here's what God said. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of Ezekiel. Is that what it says? No. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. You want to sing that song? Well, how's that song go? No, you don't want to sing it. Okay. <clears throat> you know the song, though, right? Yeah, that, that one, kind of something. All right, this is what it says. Then he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we're cut off. Therefore, prophesy. There's that word again. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I then you will know that I the Lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. How do dry bones live again? I could summarize it with this sentence. God does what only He can do when we faithfully proclaim His word to those who need it. God does what only He can do when we faithfully proclaim His word to those who desperately need it. Now, I want to give you quickly just three points of application from this text about the nation of Israel, but also about the nation of America. Three points about this text that I think are important for us to know today. First of all, a desperate nation needs God now more than ever. In verses 5 and 6, in verses 12 through 14, I want you to notice something that's emphasized. This is verse 5. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. And look for the word or the phrase, I will. I will make breath enter you, 
and you'll come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Skip down to verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves. I am. I'm going to do it and and bring you up from them. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The nation of Israel, the valley of dry bones, had no hope except for what God would do on their behalf, what God would do for them. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me well. I am more convinced than ever, more convinced than I've ever been, more convinced than ever that we need a great awakening in our country today. We have no hope without a great awakening. We have no hope without a great revival sweeping our land. We have tried to make the best of what we can do. We've tried our best to make, turn things around and make things work, and we're on a... We're on a a decline in almost every area, morally and in our churches, just continually on this decline. We can't turn things around. We are a valley of dry bones, but we have an awesome, sovereign, almighty God who can turn things around if we'll turn to Him. Can these bones live? Only if God brings them to life. We need God now more than ever. Number two, A desperate nation needs the church to be the church now more than ever. We must be the ones who speak the truth. We must be the ones who live the truth. And we must be the ones who refuse to be silenced because we have the truth. I'm going to tell you something. Listen carefully. You never change culture by compromising with it. You never help culture by compromising with it. I would rather be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. That doesn't mean that we need to be mean-spirited. That doesn't mean that we need to be spiteful. In fact, I believe we forfeit the right to be heard if our words are filled with hatred and with anger. But we must be the ones. We must be the ones who will lovingly speak the truth and lovingly live the truth and lovingly stand for the truth and refuse to compromise that truth. We no longer have the liberty to play church. It's time for us to be the church. America needs the church now more than ever. Ronnie Floyd put it this way, our president, he said, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he said, the alarm clock is going off in our nation and this is not the time to press this news button. You see, your neighbors and your nation need you to live like a Christian now more than ever. We don't need Christians by name, Christians that are kind of Christians. We don't need Christians that are nominal Christians. We don't need Christians that are somewhat Christians. We don't need Christians that are cultural Christians. We don't need Christians that kind of grew up in mom and daddy's house so they're Christians. We need Christians who are Christians by living the truth and knowing the truth and speaking the truth. Christians who truly have been changed by Jesus Christ and will live their lives as fully devoted followers of Christ. America needs the church now more than ever. You see, 
Christianity is not normal anymore in America. More and more, we will be excluded. More and more, we will be pushed to the sides. More and more, we will be abnormal. And now is the time for you to decide that you will be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Number three, a desperate nation needs the gospel now more than ever. Needs the gospel now more than ever. I really like how he describes it in verse 4. He says, this is what he said to me. Ezekiel is writing and Ezekiel says, this is what he said to me. This is what God told me. God said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Ezekiel was trying to emphasize that the message he was sharing to this desperate nation was not from him. That the message that he had to share with this desperate nation was from God. It was not from him. And we too have been given a word to share in these desperate times. And it is a special word from God. And it is not a word that we came up with. It is not from us, but it is a word from God. It's described for us in the book of Galatians chapter 1. Quickly turn there over in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 11 and 12. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we have received the gospel. We did not invent the gospel. So if the gospel is something God has given us, and he's given it to us not only for our benefit, but he's given it to us to share, then we must be very careful that we never change that gospel message, that we never compromise that gospel message, that we never hesitate to share that gospel message. Listen, I want to tell you something. We have what the world needs. We have what America needs. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need it now more than ever. That's why we go to Cleveland. That's why we try to, we're working to plant a church in Cleveland. That's why uh, we go to different places around the world. It, it's, it's because it's of the gospel. It's the gospel that drives us to those places. Can I be honest with you? We as a denomination have a lot of work to do, and, and we as a church have a lot of work to do. In our denomination, Southern Baptist Convention, do you know that baptisms have declined for a third year in a row? We've recorded 5,067 fewer baptisms last year than we did the previous year. Baptisms have fallen eight of the last ten years at the Southern Baptist Convention. Did you know that last year's total was the lowest baptism total since 1947? Lowest total since 1947. And on top of all of that, there's been a, the fact that there's been a sharp decrease in baptisms, on top of all of that, there has been a sharp increase in the percentage of Americans who identify themselves as atheists or agnostics. The, the numbers are, are kind of scattered, but they all reflect the same thing, that there is a very sharp increase in people who now identify as atheists or agnostics. But could I tell you that could be good news for the church? Russell Moore put it this way. He said, it's easier to speak a gospel to the lost than it is to speak a gospel to the kind of saved. I'm kind of saved. 
You know, it's easier to speak to those who, who really say that they're lost. That's why America needs the gospel more than ever. And the Supreme Court decision shows us how desperately our nation needs God, how desperately our nation needs the church, and how desperately our nation needs the gospel. We must rise up like never before with a message that we did not invent. The message that we did not come up with. We did not think this up. So if it came from God, we must stand on what He has said. And we must share what He has said. So let me bring this personal application for you and me. What do we do with all this? Where, where, where do we go from here? I'll give me several different ways that you can take this and use it. Number one, this week, we're going to have a 24-hour day of prayer. I think it's, the dates are July 10 through 11, noon to noon. We're asking people to sign up from our church, and, and you can pray for our country during that 30-minute time slot. You can pray for our Vacation Bible School. It's going to start next week. We would love to start Vacation Bible School praying for those children that will be here, praying for salvations, praying for the teachers. So come join us in this 24 hours of prayer as we pray for our country, as we pray for our Bible school. Come join us and pray for your family. Pray for your family members during that time. Come join us and pray for God to guide our church. You can sign up today as you're leaving. There'll be deacons out front in the foyer. Just look for somebody that's got a clipboard or they've got some papers in their hand. Uh, just look for somebody near the table out there and, and you'll find a deacon willing to sign you up for an empty time slot. Folks, we need to cover. We need a lot of people to sign up. We need to cover that 24 hours. Having somebody here at church praying for 24 hours, praying for our church, praying for our country, praying for our families. Beyond that, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to recognize we need a great spiritual awakening in America. A desperate nation needs God now more than ever. I'm asking you to pray for a spiritual awakening in America. I'm asking you not just to go to church, but to be the church. To live like you are a Christian. To live like you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Not to be a cultural Christian. Not to be a, a casual Christian. But to be a committed Christian. A committed follower of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things you can do for your nation. And then thirdly, I'm asking you to remember that the gospel is something that the people in our nation and the people who are our neighbors need now more than ever. They need to hear the truth in a loving way in an uncompromising way. They need to hear the truth. Not simply saying, your sin is worse than ours. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about saying, there is one who died for the sins of the whole world. And his name is Jesus. And he's a sacrifice for all of our sins. And he can change your life. And he can give you a new hope and a new future and a new life. And, and, and Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are. It's the, it's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. asking you to start sharing that gospel now more than ever. Think in terms of sentences instead of paragraphs. Think in terms of just sharing a word, sharing a witness, little phrases, little opportunities, and then if God opens the door to something bigger, then you go ahead and share the whole story. 
Go ahead and share your whole story. Present the whole gospel. But, but at least start with, with, with sentences of what God has done in your life. Let's be a church that shares the gospel. A church that cares for the people around us. Would you pray with me about that? Lord, I am indeed grateful for our country. Grateful for the land that I grew up in. But I am also grieved by what I now see. I pray that this will be a time that we will, individually and as a church, that this will be a time when we decide Nothing will change unless you do the changing. And we cry out for a great awakening. We cry out for revival to sweep our land. I pray it will be a time when we decide to be the church and not just go to church. I pray it will be a time when we will begin to share the gospel, the hope that everyone needs, the good news that everyone can have. I pray this will be a time, Lord, where you will awaken the church, that you will awaken us, and we might be the people you want us to be, even if it costs us. And I pray that in Christ's name.